0: Jack Stuss Homestuck is a self-indulgent podcast featuring a heart player encouraging you to be self-indulgent too. Welcome home. Welcome back to Jax's Homestuck um, We are doing another Fanstuck episode today I am here with Callum Who I have talked before on previous Fanstuck episodes and probably previous Other episodes um, Callum is the author of uh, Stargate Alternia uh, Callum, you want to introduce yourself, say your pronouns And stuff
1: I, I don't really have any decision On that made yet So, uh, <laughs> But yeah, uh, I am Callum Traveler I am um, I write Stargate Alternia, also called Stargate Suck by some people, apparently. (laughs) Um, That blew my mind hearing that people actually call it that, but it it makes sense. Um, uh, I do Tagiri's voice on the Friends and Panda, which hopefully we'll be getting to eventually. Um, But yeah, um, I grew up playing the Myst games and watching Stargate and all sorts of other anime and... You know it eventually I got to doing the this idea of Stargate and Stargate homestuck and it's what I'm doing now and it's over 1.5 million words how the heck did I get over 1.5 million words
0: yeah that's something we're all asking like it's crazy it is crazy good but it's crazy
1: oh oh yeah it's it's just it, it astounds me looking at it because I mean I can just Literally go to the, the 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 literal thick listing in it. Let me see what the actual word count is at the time I was recording this, just because <laughs> I'm I'm literally curious. It says one million five hundred sixty thousand one hundred sixty one words. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> that a, a, if there are anyone listening to this far in the future looking back, that is gonna that is at the current point of chapter fifteen being posted on Act Six, Act Four. So uh that's a lot of words that's it's a lot gonna, of words <laughs> it's, it's just gonna be more more words uh. yeah
0: um so so that's crazy so um so by by the name we can tell that it is a mixture of Stargate and Homestuck but you have a lot of other stuff wrapped up in it too so tell me a bit a little bit about uh I guess the premise and uh, what other franchises you have all all up in there
1: all right so uh first and foremost I mean, Yeah, it's Stargate and Homestuck. It's there in the title. Um, But the uh, first thing I really majorly crossed over into it is um, a video game called Abduction. It's uh, done by the same people who did the Myst games, uh, Cyan Worlds. Uh, It basically, you know you're going camping and then suddenly this big alien artifact comes and approaches you and takes you away to another world which i'm not going to go too much into that but there's a whole plot story element there i've actually literally cut out the main abduction gimmick uh, uh, it's and it's that spelled o b d u c t i o n not a b because it's it's the word abduction is like to cut something out in a circular shape and it it's it's a whole thing in the game but anyway the main thing i i, I borrowed from abduction is the alien races so you've got um the villain who ended up being my uh main enemy antagonist in uh the alternia galaxy i, I just called it the alternia galaxy because as <laughs> That was the only thing I could come up with at that point. Um, then there's the uh, Villian, which are a race of big, giant, forearmed, kind of brute-looking guys who really kind of sweet, all things considered. And they, the just the way they talk is just out of your range of hearing. They, the, those got the Villian only show up a few times, but but they're they're there. I had them show up. Because I needed some background filler, and then the main the main group that I that i really wanted to use in abduction are the uh, arai. They're uh... okay. So imagine these big giant um, barnacle polyps that grow on a wall or something. Those are like eggs, and then they hatch into these little beetles. The, I say little, but they're 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 basically beetle wasp hybrids and. At the time I was writing the story, I thought they were, like, no bigger than a house cat, you know? Mm-hmm. And, but then uh, looking up at some of the official uh, artwork and references and stuff, and they're huge. They're, like, actually as tall as an actual person oh, from head to tail. <laughs> so that's kind of a little... um. It's, it's like Portal 2, you know how you have the personality core floating in front of you and you think, oh, this thing's only yay big, it's like, you can easily hold this in your hands, and then you look at the actual third-person perspective of how big that, that personality core is next to you, and it's as big as your torso. Yeah. And it's, it's like, it, the, the perspective scale kind of throws you off a bit there. But anyway, so the the Arai beetles also have this third form that... That are called uh, polyarchs. That are the big matrons, and they're even bigger than the beetles. Like the the Arai beetles look like little tiny kittens compared to the the mama polyarchs, and and the polyarchs are kind of like these uh, uh sentient um, mind linked creatures, kind of. But the basically. The, the polyarchs are the the really sentient ones with all the, you know, the inbuilt personalities and stuff. And the, 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 the beetles are kind of more like extensions of those wills of theirs. They're like, so like you have your big body and then instead of having your hands and feet and stuff, you got just a whole swarm of beetles and stuff. And, and so the idea I had there with bringing them into the mix was, uh, was um, the Worm web novel serial. Um, so the main character there is uh, Taylor, and she gets these uh, these psychic mind control powers that lets her control huge swarms of insects. And basically, uh, basically, it's like a swarm bringer for all of these giant insects. And I was like, I want to have something like that. So I have Joey going in and training under one of these polyarchs to be able to, control these uh swarms of Arai beetles and, and so so she's just she just goes around in the story for the first few actions with this whole swarm of Arai beetles held in her her silodex. and so whenever the time comes she just opens the box and out comes this swarm of flying beetle wasps yeah and, and again i i had them super tiny to begin with so i have little descriptions of them like landing on her head or shoulders and in retrospect now i'm like Oh God, that is not possible at all. <laughs> but I'm just keeping them small and cute because I've, I've I've literally written most of the story with them like that, so they're they're staying like that now. Um, something else that I like, yeah, I have Worm as an inspiration for that, and it kind of extended into uh, this other thing. So, um, in the Pokemon Sun and Moon series, they have these things called Z Rings that are like these big old bracelets and then you put a crystal on them and the toys for that have extra slots on them. So you could like put on seven crystals onto one of those bracelets and I have one of those bracelets and I ended up collecting enough of those crystals and that it ended up being this sort of rainbow pattern. And I was like, Oh, this is like the hemo spectrum. I ha- literally had one crystal for each color basically. And so I decided, okay, I'm going to do a bit of warm and I'm going to do a bit of homestuck here. And I made this bracelet that existed that have these the psychic powers of the Alternian cast. So you've got the the red crystal that does the uh, the psychic communion with the dead. And you have the orange crystal which lets you con- commune with animals and other stuff. And then there's the yellow crystal which is a uh, hyper beam, and uh, you can probably guess what it does. <laughs> it's uh Solix's eye blasts, and whoo uh, boy, have I gotten a lot of mileage out of hyper beam. <laughs> Uh, the original Hyper Beam crystal is the only crystal that's actually survived the entire story so far. <laughs> um, uh, but yeah, so the next crystal is um, Administration, and that's the one that's heavily based off of Worm. It's the lime green crystal, and it was the one that the Arai uh, Polyarch had, and it was training Joey with to use. And so when the bracelet ends up getting destroyed, and that the the bracelet and the crystals kind of shatter joey ends up with a bunch of admin shards stuck in her on her chest basically like it embeds into her flesh and so the powers of the crystal then get permanently embowed to her so she so even though the bracelet at this point of the fic is like technically long gone the powers for from it are still around and that same thing happens with all the other crystals um but yeah the next ones were uh jade green which is uh rejuvenation you know the uh, whole uh uh the Jade Bloods having their uh, Rainbow Drinker power-ups. Mm-hmm. Then the next crystal is uh, Regent, the uh, Cerulean crystal. And um, it- it's mind control, you know. It- it's just casual mind control on a little crystal. And uh, then the final crystal is the most important one, which is another uh, warm reference. Um, it's Shaper. It's the pink crystal, the fuchsia pink crystal. And it is it lets you basically reshape genetic structures on the fly just by touching somebody and thinking of what you want to do. And Shaper is a little troll in a crystal. And it's, it, it, it it's basically the, 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 the thing that triggers off a whole bunch of uh, things. And I'll get to that later when we, when I talk about a uh, Joey a bit more, but it's like, uh, so yeah, so you have this whole, this whole bracelet of crystals and that's, kind of a hybrid of warm and pokemon in its own right it's it's mostly warm but it's kind of pokemon and just the whole center of the bracelet itself that the, the solid brace of it is the final power and it's uh super strength you know equius super strength yeah. <laughs> so that's basically all the powers wrapped up into one and i made it this uh mcguffin artifact that um okay so the air heir- so there's this process of how the heiress challenges the current empress and becomes you know the new empress and it involves this bracelet the the new heiress gets the bracelet puts it on gains the powers of the entire race and then uses it to challenge the current empress and years and years and years ago like well before even stargates got in included in this in the alternia galaxy long ago, uh, you know, her imperial condescension got a hold of this bracelet, and she decided, you know what? I do not want anyone else getting their hands on this. And uh, the long story short is she ended up breaking the bracelet into its component parts and spread them across the galaxy, creating this fetch quest for the heroes to do as they are trying to get all the pieces back together and make the bracelet again before uh, Treza can do it. Because Trezo Totally wants the bracelet so she can go and challenge the Empress again. And, uh, Teresa, well, at the early part of the story, she's Teresa and she's not all that nice, you know? I mean, yeah. <laughs> so, other than uh, that, um, the, I mean, I have like references to various other things, like, um, uh, Ruby. I have, uh, Ruby Rose and Penny Polandina being referenced in the story in various ways. Um, and I'll reference, you know right re- i've referenced sword art on oh actually re- sword art online isn't even really a reference i mean it kind of technically is but uh so the main idea with that is parallel dimensions um basically the stuff that happens in the game is its own real world there's backstory reasons that they exist and basically i have characters from sword art online being Actual characters in the story, because even though they're not actually from specifically from the sort of online timeline, if that makes any sense. So it's like, um, just for example, I have uh Keiko Ayano and Silica who are in sort of online, the same character, the same person, just one's an avatar, one's the the player, and they are two separate people, they're basically twins, except one's a cat, one's a wolf, and they they. You know they interact with each other in this this whole massive convoluted timeline that's shown up. Um, and then the last major thing, I mean, besides Power Rangers, I mean, Power Rangers is like I have Megazords and whatnot everywhere. Uh, uh, the last major thing that I've added to the whole crossover setting is uh, the Mist Universe. And and Mist, like I said, I grew up on the Mist games and having them in this whole vast messed up crazy world is, is gives me so many fun little toys to play with because, because how else do you have this, this moment of being able to open a book and look at the linking panel and have Joey watching as Atlantis hurdles towards a meteor shower and there's uh, then the, the, the and then they send out all the ships to blow up the meteor so the sh- Atlantis can can travel through a hole in the the asteroid belt and that that's 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 honestly something that is the very start of Act Six Act Four so uh spoilers sorry um <laughs> uh, but but it, but it gives me such a fun little visual cue to work with and it's it lets me play off the narrative structure more because it's. Because Stargate and Homestuck are such inherently visual mediums, and all of these stories, all of these other things that I'm working together are inherently visual. My, my, My way of writing is basically, I write it as it would be novelized from a TV show, you know, not like a script format, but it's like... And like with the action sequences when I do uh, the pseudo flash sequences you know I have the music playing I have a link to a music track and then I have little number tags separate telling people when a certain point in the music is is timed with the text and so when I have this visual medium like this that I these visual mediums that I'm mushing together in this text format I, I have to play it out differently and so having these these fun little ways of being able to look at, the story differently like there are times where i want to use a certain cutscene uh, from the actual episode you know like you see two ships exiting hyperspace over a planet how do you how do you have that sh- how do you show that when when you're mainly sticking to the second person narrative most of the time i i, I do really break into the third person per- narrative and the, the first person on very rare occasions but for the most part, the story is strictly second person like Homestuck is. So how do I show these visual moments in a way that the characters can understand it? You know, like if I'm having this perspective from, say, Daria sitting in the Atlantis control room, how do I have her aware of a ship exiting hyperspace? Well, I say there's a camera and a satellite that's in orbit and it's watching as the ship comes out of hyperspace. Mm -hmm. and then but then there are also other times where i where the limited narrative works so much better because the uh the end of act six act three is the uh end of season three for atlantis where the uh replicators come and they shoot this laser down at 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 atlantis and so i was thinking okay instead of showing that from the satellite's perspective because they did that in the show i want to do this more from the character's perspective so i have uh I have Ruby Ruby uh, Zalon, Alternian version of Ruby Rose go out onto a balcony and I have her look up at the sky as this big red line just sort of sort of carves into the air. And then as she's watching, the line just sort of bends to c- kind of come down through the horizon. Because, you know, like, planets are curved, and so the atmosphere, so the line, even though it's a straight line, gl- the, the, the curve of curvature of the planet, and the way that the satellite is turning towards the city, it causes the laser to turn into this curved line that suddenly straightens out as it starts coming towards the city, and it just grows larger and larger and larger, and then it crashes against the shield over the city, and it's... And it's such a such a powerful moment because in the store in the show you just you just have see the laser satellite turning to turn the laser towards the city and then you cut to the laser already cutting across the ocean to hit the shield, but it feels like there's this more powerful moment of impact to be able to have that perspective of the character looking out at the laser as it comes hurtling towards the city. You know, mm-hmm. it's and so so then so the so being able to have these different ways of visually selling these various moments is it's really a fun way of 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 making this work because i want to have these moments where i can have these vast you know cinematic moments but how do I frame it in this narrative? So being able to have stuff like mist and have the linking books, or have the arai beetles, which I can have Joey just place one on the corner of a wall and just you know be like a security camera looking through it, watching things. Or or early on, even once she had control of them, I had had her send one of her little beetles to or one of her one of her teammates and I'm just kind of message her with it message them with it you know like buzzing wings saying hey I want to talk come talk to me basically you know so so being able to have these this, these moments of of the visual stuff tying it all together is really uh, it's it's really kind of fun I mean at this point you know it's it's you know it's it's somehow cohesive all smushed together and uh, and, and it's really amazing that it's this long and it's this cohesive just because I've mashed everything together but but honestly I think that helps because a, a lot of Stargate and Homestuck and of course a lot of these other stories usually deal with the same themes you know in their own way like like I can take the, the the elements from one story and use them to affect another so you've got like you've got time travel and you've got revolution and alternate dimensions and found family and you got characters transitioning from one state in their life to another you got romance alternative, and otherwise you got people dealing with their traumas with other selves with with dealing with extra voices inside their head and it all just comes down to this this whole sense of i had no idea what the hell just happened but it was awesome it's 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 just that you know it, it, there's no really other way to describe it it's it is what it is.
0: Yeah. Um, yeah, absolutely. It's uh, y- you managed to weave all these different, just wildly, wildly different uh, series together, because like you said, they do have a-, a lot of similar themes. So you use it to your advantage and you explore a lot of what alternate selves mean and um, what identity is in general. And uh, it- it's definitely really neat, but um but but real quick, so let let's back up and talk about the the premise of it because you mentioned Joey. So this whole thing takes place primarily. Well, it, it goes from the perspective of like a lot of different characters, mm-hmm. but Joey is basically the main protagonist, which is we don't see that a lot in Homestuck fanfics right now. We don't see a lot of Joey as the protagonist. So what's kind of the uh, setup for it?
1: Okay, so um how I came up with the idea originally was I was writing this this thing post-Hive Swap Act 1. It was just just a short intermission fic. And it was basically just the idea was Joey and Zefro start chilling out in an abandoned hive waiting for the sun out. And then somewhere in there, I made a remark about the uh, alternian version of the movie Stargate because, you know, giant circular portal devices are a thing. (laughs) And and then a reader said, I would totally read a crossover between Homestuck and Stargate. And that got me thinking. And so basically... I watched the first movie, you know, the, the very first movie that started it all. And I just started, I was like, I'm not sure I really want to do this all the way. So I did this short little inner, this prequel, basically this act zero thing that had, uh, that basically was just like, okay, what is the main points that, that, that initially ties all this together? How can I merge these two concepts together in the most basic of ways? And the thing that got me was Jake Harley leaves his home when he's 16 and he's and he turned and as far as my math worked out at that point in time, I thought, oh, my gosh, he's 18 and he's out on his own when they're un- dig- when they're un- when they're digging up the Stargate in Giza. So I have him there at that inciting incident at the very start of the movie, basically, where they're pulling the Stargate up out of the sand. And then I basically built that whole act was basically me kind of weaving Jake into the Stargate narrative. But the pieces like 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 I was just starting to take two different puzzle boxes and take the pieces. I'm like, these pictures go together. And I start interweaving this this core narrative through it. And then I got to the point where 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 Jake has Joey and where Jake and uh, Miss Claire have Joey. And then later on, Jude, you know, and I and I ambiguously leave it in the void as to how the mother died. But, uh, but at that point, I'm like, okay, I know how I'm doing this if I actually go through and do this. And so the idea was, while Jake and the main cast of SG-1 basically go to Abydos and do the movie before, you know, before SG-1 is a series as a thing... I have I I caught back and forth between the movie plot and the Earthside plot because I had Jake bring Joey and Jude to the SGC and I had and I had them present when they actually get the Stargate to work for the first time and I have them watch it and I have them recognize what it is and then so so when Jake goes through the Stargate, Joey idols in jake's office and she opens up a safe and she finds a whole bunch of pictures and stuff you know like like the the picture like this this one picture that starts off basically every stable time loop in the story is joey opens up the safe and she looks at a bunch of folders and stuff. she finds this picture of jake having sneaked into his mother's bedroom closet and peeking out through a gap in the door with a camera and he took a picture of Condi at the, Con- uh, Emperor- the Conda's as she's, you know, putting on her makeup and she's making herself look human. And she's kind of in this halfway state of looking alternate and human. And I'm realizing now that that's completely extra of Condi because she has the ability to literally make herself look human at that point of the story, but she doesn't do it. She just uses makeup to do it. Oh, my God, Condi, how extra can you be? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But anyway, so, so then basically at that point, I have then I have Joey go to, you know, Burger King or something, some restaurant. And then somebody, the General Hammond, he shows up and he has this letter that he received as part of a time loop. And he gives her a, a piece of a message that was written by Jude, a future version of Jude. And he gives it to her, and she recognizes, because she's seen the Stargate now, she recognizes Stargate glyphs for what they are. She recognizes it is a gate address, and it's a very specific gate address. So once Jake and company return home from Earth, having blown up, you know, the, the, the Supreme System Lord Ra, who actually was Condi, who took Ra, ripped his symbiote out of him, and ate him, because she's extra like that. And she, and so basically, after Jake killed killed his own mother, basically with a nuke, uh, so so then the official consensus comes down that oh, yawn Betty Crocker is now dead. We now need to have a have a, a wake at her old mansion down in Florida, and so Jake ends up dragging his kids down there, and and of course Condi's. Minions, her ghoul minions come along and they attack the place, like, you know, like the monsters in Hive Swap did. And so she ends up finding this Stargate, this hodgepodge, handmade Stargate, just in the attic. And she has to use the Stargate to dial out to Alternia and escape. And so basically, it recreates the whole plot of Hive Swap Act One, but then it it, it, but it puts this whole twist on it, the, having the Stargate in place of the Cherub Portal. And so Joey gets flung to a whole other galaxy where she then crashes into a crate where Zif- that, that, that was left there. And Zephros and Damic were in the process of trying to make their Stargate secure and safe so that it could be used as a weapon against Condi. And out comes Joey, crashing into their plans and upsetting everything, and it just kicks off the whole the whole story and it's so it, it basically it has. So basically then the story jumps back and forth between the two, uh, the two sides of things as the story progresses. And so, but Joey is the main instigator of everything that happens in the Alternia galaxy because of everything that happened in the movie Stargate culminating in her being in an attic being that's being uh, out of a house that's being attacked and so she ends up getting flung to a whole other galaxy in an attempt to escape. And so she has she has that picture of Condi, she realizes then that there's some sort of, eventually she'll realize that there's some sort of time shenanigans going on here. Because how can the Condis be in two places at the same time, right? Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, so basically that's the, the whole point of it is just Joey ends up, in all of this, she ends up being the light that sparks this rebellion into a proper, into a proper rolling revolution, you know. And, 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 and you know, how light has this, uh, the light aspect has this balance to luck with it, like how, Riska is always talking about luck in Cannon Homestuck, about bad luck and good luck and all that. So, so and how she can steal that luck, that light, that relevance from other people. So, light and luck have this this weird balance to it in Cannon Homestuck. So, as luck would have it, after events happen and Teresa absconds out of there and her ship, which you know we called the I called the All Your Base, you know because yeah. meme. So the all your base crashes into a desert, crashes through a couple of abandoned frog temples because, you know, this is a no suburb AU. <laughs> and so so the ship happens to crash land near enough to a to to a hidden cloister, not just of jade bloods and their own um and their own mother grub, but rather a whole bunch of adults and kids of Alt- of Alternian who who in years past had uh come to this tavern, hid themselves away before all the adults were kicked off alternative. So they've just been chilling out in this one little cave in the desert for thousands of years, basically. And so eventually that's where uh Dariah and all the the Jade Bloods from Hive Swap get pulled into it because but at that point, we didn't have the troll call yet. We didn't even have names for most of these, let alone personalities. We didn't even know they were a thing that was going to be happening at that point of the story. So I'm kind of dealing with a bunch of OCs, you know, because I'm like, and the only kind, the only character I have that's in that group, uh, that is that initial group of main characters that, isn't from High Swap and isn't an OC is uh one of the uh, trolls from the uh from the original Kickstarter one of the, the two trolls that that people spend a certain amount of money on uh for Durgas. she ends up being part of the part of the main crew you know the main cast because at that point in time I was expecting oh she's gonna be in the game I'm gonna be clever and place her in the story before she's in the game you know. And, yeah. <laughs> and we all know how that's been two years later. <laughs> yeah. But but yeah, so it, so so I I so when I was writing this story originally, I had a, a whole bunch of uh initial ideas for how Hive Swap. I was trying to predict Hive Swap and kind of play my story off of it. Like like we had like in, during the Kickstarter development, we had uh, pictures of uh, this. This one little beekeeper troll, and she looked so adorable. And of course, she didn't end up in the game. She ended up being replaced by Zebedee, apparently. Even though her sign went to uh Kupram, uh, I think. But uh so so anyway, you we have these trolls. So I have this this ambiguous character in the background, like um like I was expecting, okay, I'm gonna refer to her as Hivekeep. I'm gonna I'm gonna have this beekeeper troll be a central character even though she's off screen as a radio voice most of the time and then events got all confuddled and I basically was like okay I have to make her into an OC now I guess <laughs> <laughs> cause it's like ah pseudo canon just pseudo canon almost there I I was like, like the, the main funny thing about this whole story as I've developed it over the years is like I have these initial thought plot threads. I have these. I when I first started out, I had these small initial little plot points at big milestones. You know, I was like, okay, if I get to here, I'm going to do this thing. If I get to this point, I'm going to do that thing. You know, and and a, quite a few of them ended up derailed. But yeah, so but is in this whole grand scheme of things, having Joey as the protagonist has been the main sort of through thread for the whole story, even though it starts off with Jake doing stuff. It's because he brought Joey to the SGC to watch all of this, that she gets involved in all of this. And she, she basically becomes the heiress instead of Teresa, I guess it's the one I'm trying to make. Um, even cause, cause technically she is, you know, the, the Empress's actual granddaughter in its own, and its own weird kind of twisted way of genetics and all that. It, uh, yeah, Joey basically is now the the protagonist of the story. And even though she's finished off her main uh, character arc in the story, I still have her bipping back through the story every now and then just just because she's still here. She's still relevant. She's still observing things, even though she's done everything she has to do. She has her own life. She has a mate spread and a kiss missus and they have a kid and, and she has a moral and he and her and uh, Zepros, her and Damik are all in this band, the rebels and they're doing music and they're, they're they have a life and, and they're doing all this other, you know, normal stuff in the, in the background of, of the story at this point, but every now and then they still cross back over into the main narrative.
0: Yeah, no, um, there's a lot going on and it's, it's all very exciting because you, you, so much time happens in the story that yeah they are able to grow up do what they need to do have kids or or whatever they end up wanting to do and just live their life and other people become important in that time and Mm -hmm. you get to watch them grow and live and it's very satisfying um in in ways that we as Homestuck fans desperately, desperately want. It's like we want good things to happen to these characters, even mm-hmm. though uh, conflict is obviously necessary for stories to keep mm-hmm. going on. So why work on this? This is a big project. This is a lot. You have so many threads going on. Um, what, what made you kind of start wanting to work on it? What, what made you keep working on this
1: huge, huge thing? At first, it really was just the okay. This was kind of cool. These these puzzles or pieces are fitting together. When I did the first initial act 0 I'm like, okay. At the very least, I have enough here that I can do Stargate the movie. I have enough pieces here in these boxes to do Stargate the movie, an adaptation of it. And then once I was nearing the end of that, and I was writing the scene as Joey gets sent to Alternia. I'm like, well, now I want to see how this turns out. Now that I've ridden to this point, I want to see how this turns out. It. I wanted to see how Joey's life turns out, how everyone else reacts at that point. And so I have to start conceptualizing all this stuff about the series Stargate SG-1, because for the first eight years of Stargate SG-1, that's going to be my main you know, narrative bulk of stuff I can adapt into chapters, even if I don't do much with the alternative side of thing which <laughs> i basically doubled the sg1 series count at that point <laughs> um so i'm going through all this and, and so i I'm, I'm starting to as i'm going through it once i'm in like act four i'm like okay i'm in this at the very least to act five act two you know because once i hit act four i was like Okay, I know what I want to do for that ending of that act and it was a big, big ending. I was like the the most narratively it was like it's like the cascade moment for Canon Homestuck, basically, you know yeah um so then then once I, I I've hit that point, I'm like, okay, do I really, really want to do atlantis but as I or do I just want to end it here? you know because mm-hmm. it would have been a good narrative point to end it. But at the same point, I'd i already done enough of the actual Atlantis story arc. I'd I'd done the pilot episodes for Atlantis season one. And I'm like, okay, you know what? What the heck is six more acts of this? I'm already so far in. I I can just see this through to the end. And and yeah, after that point, it's just I'm at act six, act four. I'm halfway through that in terms of writing it. I think I just uh, finished writing the, uh, the, the, the mid season finale sequence. And, oh my gosh, that's uh that is a sequence. All right. Um, <laughs> I too long. Don't read. Don't really want to spoil it. Um, big old beam of light crashing down onto a planet. That's, yeah that's that's vague enough i think <laughs> and, and it's all set to uh um i wanna be from, by the stance punks it's the uh, first uh, ending theme to uh, the soul eater anime and it's like it just it's just this perfect sort of moment cuz it's kind of this sorrowful song mixed into this this punk rap sort of thing and it and in, and it's and it kind of is this melancholic undertone to this little sub arc in that episode that even though I don't pay it too much attention or focus, it, it's still there. It's just the 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 because it's this last minute desperation idea that's being put into play here by Tisius, and it's and the fact that it works out and uh, is still at the cost of of this this weapon that that got made and it has the sentience to it, and it's happy to commit its. Purpose. It's happy to die destroying all of these other things, but it's still this sad moment because it does acknowledge it needs to do this. It doesn't matter how it feels about all of this. It needs to commit to this course of action and see it through because otherwise more and more and more and more and more and more and more people are going to get hurt than if it sacrifices itself to stop it. Um, and, and it's all this kind of melancholy sort of thing, but it's, it's there and it kind of plays out in that regard. Um, but yeah, uh, uh, as it is, I've got act six, act five, which is, which is going to be basically the game over version of this, uh, of this story. Um, there's the movie Stargate Continuum, which is basically a whole time travel, Basically, continuum is a doomed timeline because somebody went back in time like an idiot and changed events and caused things to go horribly wrong. And everybody basically dies because of it. And a few people go back in time to stop it. And so it's basically the game, it's basically the whole game over of that act of, of Act Six, Act Five. You know, it's a doomed timeline focusing. And then Act Six, Act Six is going to be the, uh, the last season of Stargate Atlantis, Season Five. And then Acts 7 is going to be this moment that I've been uh, working on, that I've been alluding to every now and then ever since the point in time where I actually exiled Condi back in time to, you know, cause everything to happen in the first place. Um, And that is this whole Giza in the ancient past 3,000 years ago, uh, 3,000 BC, technically, that uh, 5,000 years ago. It's a. it's this whole loop that happened in late season 8 of Stargate SG-1. It was the uh, actual season finale for season 8. But I decided I want to do things differently. Because there's also this Stargate SG-1 novel that takes place after the series that doubles back onto that loop. It's a Mobius double reach around. And I'm like, ah, I need to do this. I need to take this episode and I need to do it as Act 7. It is the, the ultimate tie-up of all of these loose threads it is the ultimate bow on the top of the story it's just pure time shenanigans and it's it's and that's basically all i have left to write at this point is just two and a half acts three acts i guess
0: yeah that's crazy that you've been planning that for so long you've just been sitting on it for
1: uh, how long have you been working on this? Two years? Um, let me check. I, It says I started this. It says I first posted this Act Zero. The very first thing. Just one chapter. October 1st, 2017. It is October uh, 20th, 2019 when we're recording this. So it has literally been over two years since I've started this.
0: Wow. <clears throat> yeah. And, and yeah, you've had this planned for a very long time then. Um, that's, that's crazy. So throughout all this, um, I know you said you got good feedback on your, your first little blip that kind of led to all this, but what's been the reception for this, this whole huge thing?
1: Um, okay. So it really depends fic by fic, Cause sometimes I get, get like, like 10 comments per a chap per chapter count. And then sometimes I don't get like too many. Like I get two. Like I get like a couple. Like I get a couple of of chapters in a row where I don't get any response. But but that's mostly been the late game because at this point it's like everybody said everything that needs to be said. But even then I still get the the okay the comment. But it, but overall it's been very um to put it kindly and everyone's been very positive. It's the general reaction is what no like <laughs> what like 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 you know that scene where david tennant is 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 sees um uh catherine tate having teleported onto the uh tardis in uh doctor who for one of the christmas specials and he's just like what 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 that that's basically the reaction in general <laughs> i get because i mean people are like oh wow do you see this and that and that but but overall it's it's that stunned kind of wow, what just happened? Sort of overall reception over this. I mean, a lot of people love it. A lot of, and I, I mean, especially with the topics like the epilogues, when I've touched on that, people have said, I'm really appreciative of what you've done here because you handled it so much better than the epilogues did. And and what I did with Damara and her character arc, I've had people tell me, I am so glad you handled Demara the way you did because. Because God did Hussey do her dirty, and it's like, so I have all these. I, I have people replying telling me that they really like these chapters when when they reply to it.
0: Yeah. Ah. Uh, so, in relation to your work and how it's 1.5 million words in two years, which sure that's two years, but if you look at some of the timestamps on your stuff, like you're updating really regularly. So there have been questions of how you have gotten through so many things. Like Homestuck is 10 years old and has less words than you. (laughs) It has less
1: words than me, even including the epilogues.
0: Yeah, epilogues are what pushed it over one million words. Um, And you have gone way past that so what what's your kind of writing schedule like like um how how often do you post updates
1: um early on i was kind of actually kind of shotgunning it every single day which is insane to think about and it's like after a while that was not manageable for me i had to stop posting on weekends but after a certain point my schedule ended up kind of shifting to the point where it's like okay i'm gonna post tomorrow's chapter today so my Monday chapter goes up on Sunday, and I wait until AO3's internal server time clicks over to the next day to post it. And and having this time window of having it ready like a few hours in advance gives me time to go through it a couple times and spot some more errors. So I'm, I've been doing Monday through Friday, technically uh, Sunday through Thursday um, for... I'm going to eyeball it, rough it, and say about a year now. I don't know exactly when I switched to doing that, but it's somewhere in there along that. Before that, I was just posting any time a day I could. I, like, I would write a chapter. I'd be like, this is good. I'm posting it. I'll go write the next chapter now. I wrote the next chapter. I post it. I write the next chapter. I post it. But then I started kind of getting ahead of myself a little. And then I started building up the buffer and then I'm like, okay, I can hold this off of it longer. And right now I have about a week and two days worth of buffer <laughs> ready to uh, go through. And um, it gives me time to, uh, to go back and, uh, and uh, get some some other changes in if I need to. But like the the last chapter I was writing that I was just talking about with the scene I just finished with the uh, music sequence. I've been working off and on that for at least the last three days. And uh, it's one of the longer chapters. Like, like, if it's a short chapter, like one or two scenes, like usually I can crank, like crank out like a couple of chapters in a day like, of that. And that's, but then there's also like what I did for the uh, the the Sam Jack wedding in the end of the of near the end of Act Six, Act Three, um, the Unending Sunday episodes. Like if you go back to the Act Six, Act Three, look at the chapter drop-down list, you'll see that it uh it goes basically uh Unending Sunday, Unending Sunday, Unending Sunday, like like it's a cup, like it's a like it's like it's a gear that's kind of been laid flat with the little notches rising and falling in how it looks. And basically what I did there was I took two what were going to be two very long chapters, and instead I just broke them up by act and posted them act by act, alternating between the episodes. Act one of SG1, Act One of Atlantis, Act One of SG1, Act One, Act, you know, Act One, Act Two, Act One, Act Two, you know, something like that.
0: For sure. Um, and how long are your chapters usually? I know sometimes you have shorter chapters and sometimes longer ones. Like I know recently you had a couple of days in a row that were just like basically 10k each.
1: Oh um. my god, like uh <laughs> okay, so like the last few chapters in uh act 6 act 4 have been uh some fairly short ones, but there've also been some long ones in between. Like 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 act 6 act 4 at the moment is currently 41,000 words and some change and the first initial 10,000 of that Um, came from the Chapter 2, which is the actual first proper chapter that isn't a recap. Um, It's SGA 0401 Adrift Part 3. That was 10K words, and it was the last chapter in that uh, long 10K spree. I basically wrote um, four chapters in a row that were 10K words. Yeah. And so I ended up with 40,000 words of word count spread between the end of the last act and the start of the current one. And I was, I basically didn't realize I was writing that much when I was writing. I was like, okay, here's here's a short scene, here's a short scene, here's a short scene, here's a short scene, here's a short scene. And then I did one really long scene. And I think that's what really pushed me over on one of those chapters but I basically just ended up writing a whole bunch of really short scenes that ended up getting so long that it was a whole episode worth of content. Like, ideally, I think if I could do it, I think about 10,000 words is about the right amount of adaptation room for a solid 45-minute episode of television, you know? Mm-hmm. I, doing a, Doing an adaptation of a Stargate episode to text, I think... That is about how it kind of works out because you have to describe a whole lot of stuff that otherwise is handled by the VFX or is otherwise handled very simply in a script. But yeah, it's but usually when I'm writing the chapter's length, I just don't care about the length when I'm writing it. I just know this isn't done yet. This isn't done yet. This isn't done yet. Can I be done here? No, yes. Okay, this isn't done yet. Okay, this is finally done. Uh, So the end of Act 6 Act three is um okay yeah so I start with the part one of it which is uh backdoor negotiations 319 and that's 10k chapters and it is basically a whole chapter about dealing with politics of the inter of the whole intergalactic alliance thing that's going on here and a whole vast section of it comes from the part of the people who are trying to get in on this alliance and they just came so well prepared that after they're done i just have jack sort of say well they came prepared because that's really the only thing to say about and then what follows is this whole um spiel about impossibly large numbers of of in terms of scale because I made, a huge, I made a huge mistake early on in the story by not checking how big something was. I was just using the canon number and I was just assuming, okay, this is a small thing in comparison to a planet Earth, you know? But actually, it's about about the best the, the, big around as the planet Earth is in diameter. And that's like, how did I not realize that sooner? And so when I was writing this chapter and I said, okay, it's going to be 10 times bigger than this really big thing. I'm like, how do they have the mass for that? And I just had my whole sequence of trying to rationalize how this works spelled out through the characters. Like it was just this whole rant. It's just this whole ramble of of okay. So here's Jade. She speaks. What's worth the circumference of the Earth itself? It's twenty four thousand nine hundred one miles, or forty thousand seventy five kilometers. And the diameter is twelve thousand seven hundred fifty six kilometers at the equator. How did we not notice this before? <laughs> and, it, and basically she's comparing these real numbers to these other numbers that are stated from this source of fiction and the whole thing is just it, it, it's i have jade say this, this is so fucking ambitious how the hell are they even making something like this and and it's and, it, and i make it work in the story but every character is just like what the hell they're just as flabbergasted as some of the readers are in response to it. And, okay, so once all of that got sorted out, I then jumped to the next chapter, which, you know, it. it but anyway, it basically is that episode with the laser. Basically, the replicators come and they send a big old beam of doom towards towards the towards the, here's here's the really fun thing about act six act three i was ready and waiting for this moment with a quote to use in the description of the story since i posted act six act three and then when i get to the point where the laser gets used and i almost flub it because the way i wrote the pacing of the of the scenes means i can't use it the way i wanted to so I have to then sneak it sort of in a scene that's sort of following that, but in a few moments in the past, retroactively, it, it just, sometimes you just get so caught up in the flow of the writing that the things you have planned sometimes don't quite work out the way you expect. It's, oh yeah. yeah. It's, it's insane how much I've gotten in this story. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it, it really is. Um,
0: there's a lot. There's a lot. I would love to talk about this, uh, but I feel like we would need a whole series just
1: devoted oh to all the God. different. Yeah, you know, at, at some point, I'm just going to have to go through and just do a director's commentary on this story. But that's yeah. going to be another million words, probably.
0: <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, because there you touch on a lot of different topics. And Mm -hmm. um, we have this planned out in an outline. And there's so much here that I I read through. And I'm like, yes, I would love to talk about all of these. But I feel like almost every single one of these would be another episode. Oh, Um, God. Yes. So let me just kind of run through if anyone is curious, what all topics this um, touches on, I'm just going to blurt out some words and we'll have those out there. And that'll be that. Um, so, we've kind of mentioned this before, but time travel, alternate dimensions, dealing with alternate uh, alternate selves, those are really important. Um, they come up definitely a lot in Homestuck, uh, definitely a lot in Stargate, from what I know about mm-hmm. Stargate, and very, very important. So, if you like that part of Homestuck or Stargate, we have that, because you can't really do either one of these stories for any period of time without having time and self-shenanigans. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we have the revolution, which you've talked about before and um, uh, about, you know, Joey becoming basically the heiress and uh, getting rid of Condi. And then on the Stargate side, dealing with the, how, how do you say it? The, the Gula?
1: The Gould. The Gould.
0: The Gould. The See, I don't.
1: Yeah. <laughs> it, it, yes. it, they, they joke about that in the show. There are some people who say ghouled. There are people who say then immediately correct gould. It, it, yeah. it, 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 it's a whole joke in the series itself about the pronunciation on that.
0: Yeah, I just said letters that weren't even there whenever I tried to pronounce <laughs> it. So that's how it works. This is a continuing series of me not knowing how to say things. Last time it was tsundere. This time it's uh Gould.
1: Go world. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um,
0: yeah, and then we have found family and romance, which is obviously necessary for fanfics mm-hmm. um, because found family is the best. Romance is great. Um, and then a big one is transitioning and you deal with it in a lot of different ways. There are trans characters. There are um, just briefly mentioning uh, how Joey... Uses shapeshifter become to become alternian and ends up kind of preferring that. So while it's not
1: dysphoria, I think dysmorphia is kind of the term for it. Yeah, I think I think dysmorphia is probably the more correct term there in that case. Yeah, and um,
0: and while we obviously don't go through quite as many like extraterrestrial experiences mm-hmm. as uh, as Joey, uh, a lot of it can be understood, and, and then you do have the actual trans rep in there to to deal with that especially with mm-hmm. the introduction of alter, alternate selves. Mm-hmm. Um, and that kind of flows into dealing with trauma. You deal with a lot of trauma in there which is only to be expected mm-hmm. from what Homestuck and Stargate is but instead of kind of hand waving it, like it actually gets sat down yeah, and dealt with like, a lot. It,
1: yeah, Stargate and Homestuck kind of wave it away by the time the next episode comes along. And then another topic you deal with a lot is dealing with
0: extra voices inside your head, which, uh, from what I can understand, is kind of a, a big part of Stargate, but uh, not necessarily touched on at the same time.
1: Yeah, basically, Stargate has these, the ghoul. The, the ghoul the symbiotes are alien parasites that go into a person's head, wrap around their spine, and kind of dig their head in their brain, and then it, they just, they're kind of like body jacking parasites, you know. And you know they're generally the the whole malevolent like, ha ah, ah, ha ah, ha I am the god you will worship me sort of shit you know but then there's the Tokra who are the same species but their mental philosophy over how they interact with hosts is all very different that where the will usually go through the back of the neck and leave a scar the Tokra usually go in through the mouth and it's it so that it doesn't leave a scar and the Tokra are they basically they are like an extra head meat. Um, I ta- touched on kind of the notes here that I made. It was kind of like the the, to, the Tokra kind of more like uh, tulpas in the narrative way that they work. There's they they're able to access memories. There's a, a back and forth between the human host and the Tokra symbiote. There's literally conversation back and forth between them. They can share thoughts and all that. They And the tokra can take over the body if the host allows it, you know, like possession is a thing. So it but but they go back and forth and I and because the story is a lot more of an internal narrative than a visual one. I I have to I can I can actually focus on that a lot more because in Stargate you don't really get a character's thoughts. Like, in Homestuck Proper, you have the second narrative kind of laying out their thought and thinking process. But you don't really get that in a TV show. You don't get to hear what characters are thinking in Stargate. And the only time they actually do that in Stargate, where you have the two characters having a back and forth inside their head, is when it's, an, it's, when it's not a Tok'ra. The, 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 the sheer annoyance of it is they had a perfect opportunity to have a Tok'ra be on the base. They had to have two characters interact in their head like that. But then what happened, what what really happened was there was an accident. Two characters got stuck in a transporter. And when the transporter malfunctioned, only one of them came out physically. The other one got their mind stuck in there. And so they have this back and forth, like how I envision the Tok'ra and host interactions go. But it's, it's decidedly way more unstable. It, and then, then it has to be undone by the end of the episode. And so it's... You know, it's... It's it's a whole thing that it's... I really wish they'd touched more on in Stargate proper. But, you know... SG-1 was focused on SG-1. And when they had a chance to introduce a Tok'ra character... Put them on the team... They killed R off in the first episode she was in! They used her, as a, her memories as a plot point for crying out loud, but but i was like she deserves so much better Joel and our deserve better so she survives and more than survives she gets temporarily cloned so there are now two of her so it, it so i am able to it, it end, i was able to end up ex- exploring that a whole lot more uh more consistently yeah
0: yeah and it's it's really neat i mean i'm focusing on stuff like this because i like the identity war and how that that can change through all these various things and having an extra voice inside your head would certainly uh, mess with that. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I really, I really love when you explore um, stuff like that. And, um, and and yeah, so those are kind of the the main things. I I hate to say the main things your story deals with, because it deals with.
1: (laughs) It deals with so much more. This (laughs) is like, like, just the service level of concept and stuff like i i could go on for hours about how i i dealt with all the the epilogue themes and stuff which i'll just say the epilogue preempted me on so many plot points it felt like i was cheating <laughs> i had a roadmap map to follow now i like, could build off of yeah uh,
0: i mean it, it sometimes works out that way
1: and um,
0: and yeah, from what I from what I hear and what uh, but you've had me read for that, it, it seems like you did really great job working it all in. Um, and- I have
1: yeah, I have a few very brief cameos and tie-ins from the actual epilogues, and 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 a, a vast majority of that actually stems from Damara literally taking over the narrative for a chapter, and yeah. I could just talk for hours on some of this stuff. Like I said, <laughs> director's commentary. I, I really need to go through and do that at some point. <laughs> yeah,
0: no, that would be that would be freaking great. Um, and uh, okay, so while we're wrapping up, do you have any final thoughts you want to say about this? Any any more bullet cool points?
1: Well, I'll start off with a shameless promotion. If you want to read Stargate Alternia, it is on archive of our own. Um, under my username, Calum Traveler. Um, you can probably just look at High Swapper Homestuck and look for, uh, Act 6, Act 4, Chasing the World, and then just click back into the series through the Part 11 of Stargate Alternia link. Um, I will advise you that it is over 1.5 million words and counting, and it is a daunting read. I am very hesitant to even go back and do a thorough editing pass of it, as I've said, um... But yeah, if you're willing to read, take the time to read it. Uh, yeah, it's there on archive of our own. Um, if you want to contact me or ask me questions, just leave a review. I'll get back to you. Um, I. Other than that, I suppose you could probably message me on Twitter. I'm Callum Traveler there. Um, but but yeah. Um, the only thing I also I'll say is please do not do an audio read of this. Your voice will go hoarse. Just, just please do do not try and do a podcast or a sound book or whatever. If if you do do one, just limit it to act one. That's all. Just <laughs> act one is the only one you should ever try doing this with. Just, just just trust me on this. Act one is the only one you should ever try doing an audio read of if you ever do an audio read, because you will just grow hoarse of it trust me it is it is a lot of words
0: <laughs> it's it's quite a few yeah um but but yeah so are there any uh projects you're working on right now i know you mentioned the uh friend fan earlier on do you got anything else
1: um beyond finishing up the story that i'm working on um i've been uh working off and on on some original projects um one of them is called uh mistrial which is uh set in a fantasy world based around a detective agency called guess what mistrial um Mm -hmm. and and it kind of plays on the whole uh uh, theme of gods being in the world it's kind of a follow-on to honestuck in that sense like like it could have been what we got with the epilogues you know sort of with which you have the people, everyday people living in the world, dealing with the gods who, having, aware that the gods who created this world are still there and still around, even if some of them are dead or missing or what have you. And, and you, and then you have, and the the overall arc of it was basically gonna, I mean, if I ever get it out the door, it definitely needs a whole lot of re-edits and whatnot. But, but the overall arc is kind of, kind of similar, I suppose. It's, it's like, it deals with my own idea of how a, a suburb ascension should work, like going to the god tiers. That's that's my idea. It kind of focuses kind of around that of how how it should work, in my opinion. And and it also again brings in the whole idea of parallel dimensions and stuff. I I, I think you'll find that's a, a a very common thread in my work: alternate <laughs> dimensions, other worlds. Um, other than that, the only other origin I mean, the only other original project I have running in the background, I mean, I haven't published anything about this really, is something I'm calling World Commute. And it's basically the idea of what happens if that MMO world isekai thing that happens, you know, the guy dies, he ends up in the other world. What happens if that door ends up being two-way and you're able to go back and forth? That's, That's kind of the original inciting concept for it, but it... Again, it's going to deal kind of with conspiracies and, uh, and, uh, you know, characters dealing with trauma and surviving and coping and, uh, and, you know, I got a couple trans characters in there too. So, you know, trans rap Woo. <laughs> yeah.
0: Um, okay. So there's going to be, uh, links to your Twitter, to your AO3, to anything else you decide to shoot at me in the description below. Um, and um and yeah thank you so much for coming on and talking about this i've been like dropping hints about you in enough episodes that it was just bound to happen eventually
1: oh, um, oh yeah, yeah yeah A thank you to uh 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 philip who was who said that all that stargate stuff original stargate stuck stuff that that was really what kind of pushed me to get on this so hey yeah thumbs up <laughs> okay yeah um and
0: so uh after this, we're going to have an episode coming out on Saturday and then it's going to be kind of vague, not sure what's happening in November yet, but I'll let you guys know as soon as I know. So thank you again for listening. Thank you again, Callum, for coming on and talking about this and I will see you guys Saturday. Bye! This podcast's theme is Dirty Dirt Kinney and was created by Dommy, who could be found on SoundCloud as Domino Thief. The art for the podcast was done by Abby, who you can find on Twitter at Space Arby's. Unless it wasn't. Shout out to my patrons, Kansas, Just Gayer, and Jacob King. To become a patron and get episodes up to five days early, along with other benefits, go to patreon.com slash sociallyanxiousdragon and sign up for as little as $1 a month. You can find links to that and more in the episode's description, on the podcast's Twitter, JaxDoesHS, or on JaxDoesHomestuck.com. Please remember to rate this podcast on iTunes and share with your friends. Thanks for listening, and don't forget to be a little selfish.